Well, if you're new or you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, let me fill you in. We are in week three of a series called The Spirit and Spirituality, basically talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, next week, we'll get a little more into the and spirituality side of things a little bit. Um, but I haven't, I haven't taught yet in this series. And so, um, just so you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this, this whole topic is because there's a lot of there's a lot of spiritual talk in our culture today, or a lot of, I don't know, maybe a better way to say it is there's a lot of talk about spiritual things. There's a whole lot of people in our world that, especially in the U.S., um, that want a spiritual experience, that want spiritual feelings, that want to have this, uh, this great emotional, spiritual whatever. Um, they're drawn to that. And the problem is, there's a lot of times maybe that that's not based on anything true. It's not based on the Bible. It's not really biblical. It's maybe just, I want to feel something. And so at the root of it, quite, quite honestly, probably at times, it's just they, they kind of made an idol maybe out of their own feelings. And so often, I think today, we just want to feel something. And so um, we kind of love that stuff. But anyway, so there's, there's a, in a certain sense... That's fine, but in a certain sense, um, I really want this series to kind of like be a little cautious about that. You go to a fall retreat, Saturday night session is awesome, you start crying, but if that's the only time when you can experience God, um, it shouldn't be that way. You go to a certain church service or a certain whatever, and you have this great, huge emotional thing, that's good, but I want you to have a relationship with God all the time. Not just the church on Sundays, not just Saturday night sessions at Fall Retreat. Um, and so I think the study of the Holy Spirit and spirituality is good. So um, here's where we're at tonight. Tonight we're talking about the Spirit and our identity. The Spirit and our identity, who we are. Sort of how does, how does the Spirit interact with me? How does the Holy Spirit have a relationship? How does the Holy Spirit work in me and with me? And so to do that, we're going to be studying um, Romans 8. The second, well, kind of the middle passage in Romans 8. Um, and we're just going to be camped here all night, so I want you to grab a Bible, um, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 9, and uh, this is, I think, in my opinion, one of the best chapters in the whole Bible, but there's a lot in it about the Spirit. Now, um, here's the thing, I, I want, I hope a lot of you have Bibles, maybe you have one on your phone, I recognize that, you can use a Bible app, I think Maybe, I hope you're not getting also distracted by your Twitter and stuff if you use your phone, but I long for you guys to have a Bible, use a Bible, and bring your Bible to Oasis. Many of you don't do that, and uh, I want to start that. I don't know how to change that trend. Maybe um, next year or, may, I don't know, soon, we should just get rid of both Bible carts and maybe not put the text on the screen, but I want you guys to have a relationship with your Bible, to know where things are in your Bible. Your Bible's not God. You shouldn't worship your own Bible, but you should have one, and you should be familiar with it. Um, I think some of you are like, I would bring my Bible, but Brad, nobody else does, and therefore it's uncool to bring my Bible to Oasis, um, so I'm not going to, and that's a shame. So I, I don't know that me saying this is going to like help you want to do that, but anyway, all food for thought. So I hope you have a Bible or something, and uh, we're going to be looking, we're going to be just dissecting Romans 8, um, starting at verse 9. So, here we go. Verse 9, Paul writes, Paul's writing this, 
And he's just finished a little blurb on um, kind of comparing and contrasting a life governed by the sinful nature and a life governed by the Spirit. He's talking to Christians. He's addressing Christians. If you're not a Christian here tonight, this isn't talking to you. He starts verse, um, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Um, first thing even, just so you're not confused, there's not two different spirits, there's not two different Holy Spirits, but in this one verse, the Spirit's called the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Same Spirit. I don't know why Paul changes it around like that, but it's both the Holy Spirit. So, number one, you got an outline? Did everyone grab an outline? Grab an outline. Number one on there, we're going to go four things that the Spirit gives us tonight. And number one is the Spirit gives us God's presence. The Spirit gives us God's presence. And remember, the Spirit is God. We said that week one, and He's invisible. You know that, but the Spirit is God, and He's invisible. Um, But the Spirit gives us God's presence. So in this verse, you're controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. You can't be controlled by the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit. And just so you're aware, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, you don't. So when he says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, that's all he's saying. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Of course you don't belong to Christ. But I think, I mean, he's, I kind of sum this up. The Spirit gives us God's presence. And so we've said this, I think, the last two weeks. The Spirit is our helper. He's our comforter. You are never alone. Scary thought, right? If you're a Christian, you are never alone because the Spirit is a constant companion. He's a friend. He's a helper. Whatever you want to call him, he's always with you and he's working in you. So um, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was meeting with a student, a student, a, a senior in here, and we meet every other week, and we go to Starbucks usually every other Thursday. And so we're talking, we kind of do this Bible study thing a little bit, and toward the end, he, um, he kind of says, you know, here's the hard thing, Brad. He says, even though I know I need to trust in God, and uh, like, I'm supposed to do that, I know I should do that, but he said, God isn't physically here doing things for me. He doesn't come down and do things. And he said, I'm a goal, I'm kind of a goal guy. I'm a goal-oriented person. I like to write goals. And uh, so I know when I need to get my goals done, I'm going to have to do them. It's going to have to be me who does them. God will not come down and accomplish my goals for me. And I was kind of like, one, that's, that's like, that's a great insight. That's a very common thought, I think. And I could see a lot of you students being like, that's, that's right on the money, like, Yeah, we talk about God all the time, but God and Jesus, well, they're not here on this earth right now. They can't do my, they can't go through my hard stuff for me. But I said something to the effect of, um, here's what you forget. I said, that's great, but here's what you forget. Because the Christian has the Holy Spirit in them, I said, when you're doing those goals, you're doing them by the power of the Holy Spirit. At least if you're doing something good and from, the right, from a right motivation, the Holy Spirit is so one with us, you guys. It's, like, it's, like our, it's almost like our conscience. I don't know that your, con- I mean, your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but you almost think of it that way. When this person does those goals, I said, you're doing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not your own power. And so think of it this way. This is going to be on the screen. For the Christian, and again, this isn't like everything you do is done by the Holy Spirit, but if, for the Christian, the Spirit working and us acting or doing good things, at least out of a right motivation, is the same thing, okay? You don't have to be like doing spiritual stuff for it to be the Holy Spirit. The Spirit should get all the credit for good things you do. Say I'm having a horrible day, and somebody, Addie, is just my friend, and she wants to encourage me. And she just, I pop into her head, or she knows I'm, I'm having a bad day, and she writes me a little note. You guys do this with your friends all the time. The Spirit, if you're a Christian, you're not doing that. Addie's not doing that selfishly to try to get like, oh, God's going to bless me now because I did something good. No, God is already in her. The Spirit is in her. Spirit should get the credit for that. So the Spirit working and you acting is the same thing for the Christian. Not for the non-Christian, but for the Christian. So how do you know if you have the Spirit? Again, I kind of said, if you're a Christian, you have it. If you don't, if you're not a Christian, you don't. But the first test is this. Have you ever repented and put faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ? For a lot of you, that can happen different. That can happen through a prayer. For any of you, maybe it happened when you were like super young, five or six, seven, eight years old, with your parents. It's not the prayer that saves you. There is no magical abracadabra prayer that instantly, when you die, you're going to automatically go to heaven. That may shock some of you. It's, it's repentance and faith. Have you repented of your sin and said, I am banking only on Christ's record and not mine? It's maybe done through a prayer. It's maybe done through simply a decision. Maybe for some of you, it's happened this year. It's your junior year of high school, and sometime in the past three months, you're like, I don't know, I just, it's clicked for me. There was no date. I didn't write anything down. Skies didn't open. But if you've never done that, you're, you're not a Christian. If there has never been a moment of repentance and faith. Second test is this. Is your life producing fruit? Is your life producing fruit? Now, this one's a little more tricky because it's hard to measure that. Fruit grows slowly. If you've ever tried to watch corn grow, it takes forever. So fruit in your life may show up slowly. But has there been any fruit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Have you ever exhibited any of that? And it may take some time, but if you've never produced any kind of fruit, and that doesn't mean, too, you've also been wrestling still with sin. You're still going to maybe wrestle with this stuff. If you've never produced fruit, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't have the Spirit. And I'm not going to be the one to decide that. But So those are kind of two tests. Moving right along. So look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, Paul writes, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Little theme there, the whole in you thing is in this two verses three times. So where's the spirit at? It's in us. Somehow, you can't locate it. You can't dissect Katie Rockensack and find the spirit in her. But it's in there. It's just not like, you know, you always say, I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, you know, you can't dissect the heart. But still, the spirit is in you. Three times in these two verses. Here's the number two point. So we talked about the spirit gives us the presence of God. Second one, the spirit gives us power and life. Power and in life, eternal life. How? How does the Spirit give us life? Right here in the passage, through the righteousness of Jesus. 
through the righteousness of Jesus. He says, Jesus has a perfect record, lived a perfect, righteous life, and the glorious exchange is when Christ, when he dies on the cross, takes all of our sin and we get all of his righteousness. And so by righteousness, we have life. We have eternal life. We are made alive. We rely on him. We place our confidence in him. Again, it's, it's by faith. But whatever you want to you are you relying on Jesus for your life? Do you have Christ's righteousness in you? So now maybe you say, here's another thing in this passage we see. Um, it says our bodies are dead. It says if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. What the heck does that mean, Brad? My body's fully alive right now. I'm moving. My heart's beating. My blood's flowing. Doesn't seem to make sense. Why does it say, why does it say my body's dead? Well, the answer is in there. It's dead because of sin. So, I don't know, he maybe could have said your body is dying because of sin, or your body will die because of sin. Our bodies still will die. You all should know this. Your bodies will still die. But Paul right after that says, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. But get this, your body's going to die just because it has a sinful nature. Every animals die, plants die, human beings. Your grandparents are going to die someday. We're all going to die someday. Your body will. But even our bodies, because of, because of Christ, because of salvation, we will get new resurrected bodies. So even our bodies are not affected, are not condemned because of sin. And so our bodies, when we're, when we're with Jesus someday, we will have new resurrected bodies. I believe that in heaven or whatever, I will look at Ethan Novacek and know that's Ethan Novacek. You will still be you but you will somehow have a perfected body. There will be no flaws about it. Um, Bible says there's not marriage in heaven, and yet I think I will be able to, I will know Leslie and I were, I don't, I, I don't know where in the Bible it talks about memories and stuff, and I'm getting off track, but I think we'll still have a, like, we'll recognize people, but there won't be like, oh, but you like, you totally rejected me once, or you like, you hurt me once. I, there won't be any of that because there won't be sin and pain. So we will have new and redeemed bodies. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives those bodies life, according to this, these two passages. Um, real quick, uh, real quick, for the Christian, there's kind of two realms I want to talk about real quickly. Who we are positionally and who we are in practice. And so maybe this helps. This helped me when I was in high school. Who you are positionally is positionally before God. You are perfect, righteous, sinless. When God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ if you're a Christian. That's who you are positionally. In practice, since we are still living on this earth and we live in a fallen, sinful world and our bodies are sinful, we will still sin and experience guilt and shame and fear and loneliness and all these other effects of sin. And so the problem is, how do we get to live out in practice who we are by position? So there is that tension. You're sometimes like, so many of you are like, why do I still struggle with sin? Positionally, you're justified, you're righteous, you're perfect. In practice, no, we still live in a fallen world. Um, but let's keep moving. Verse 12, he writes, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. We have an obligation. We do now have, we have a duty. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So point number three, third thing the Spirit gives us, the Spirit gives us a new position before God. A new position before God. Sons and daughters of God. That when we become Christians, you guys, we get a whole new status, a whole new identity. The Spirit, I mean, speaks to our hearts and helps. I mean, this passage just says, identifies us and says, you are now a son or a daughter of God. And so, it's not only about some reward that you get later in life. You will, you, like, yes, you get heaven when you die. Every other religion also, though, believes in an afterlife. Every other major religion also believes in some kind of, some kind of afterlife, some kind of paradise. What Christianity, though, alone says is you can have absolute assurance. You can have absolute assurance of your status. No other world religion says that. Most other people I know that are like religious or some other religion or whatever, they have no way of knowing whether their good deeds that way they're bad. And it all seems to be based on a karma, a karma status or whatever. Good that way and you're bad. Christianity alone says no, throw that out. You're accepted by God first, and then you want to do good or obey Him. So how do we do that? How do we know we have that status? Because we have the Spirit. The Spirit is our guarantee. So listen to this. We're going to throw this verse on the screen. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. This is just where it's at in the Bible. Paul writes, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And these are three things the Spirit does, or three things God does, but it says He anoints us, He anointed us, I'm sorry, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. If you are truly a Christian, the spirit is your guarantee. You have a brand new status, a brand new identity. You are a child of God and you can know that with confidence. You don't have to worry about your assurance. You don't have to accept Christ like 12 times in your life. So, Again, I mean, it kind of talks about, so we have this new position before God. We have this identity. We're now sons and daughters of God. Um, How do we, like, still, how do we, how do we live that out in practice? I'm kind of going back to the other thing, the thing I said before. In that, in that section we just looked at, Paul writes, how do you put to death the misdeeds of the body? He says, by the Spirit. If you want to change how you live, if you want in practice your how you live in practice to line up with your position, you look at your position before God. That if I want to stop my habit of lying or somehow I have a temper and I want to stop having a temper, what do I look at? I look at, why am I getting so angry? I'm a son. I, I'm, I'm accepted before God. I'm redeemed. I'm a child of, of the God who created everything. Why, would, why do I have to lie to this person? Oh, I know why I have to lie. I lie because I... Uh, I don't want to hurt them. I lie because um, I don't want them to think less of me. But man, when that's not, when your identity and your, yourself, if you're not like the driver, the seat of your, uh, the driver of your life anymore and God's driving the car now, you don't care anymore. You know what? You can, you can go to your friend and say, you know what? I was going to lie to you about this, but this is what happened. I don't have to lie anymore. 
I've got a whole new identity. I have a whole new position. This is huge, this whole identity thing. And so even the language he uses, this should change how we view God. This one, these, these two words that Paul says, by the Spirit, we go to God and we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, Abba is just this Aramaic word for Father. A lot of people I've heard say, it's almost like, though, this more informal, like, Daddy, that we could run to God. I mean, this should totally change our picture of, for so many of you, and maybe even if, when you're, before you're a Christian, you're like, God is just some angry guy in the sky, and he's an authority figure, and he just gives us rules. It's all about the rules. God gives all this, all this junk that we just have to do. You become a Christian, and suddenly you see God as a father. And I don't, I don't know what your dad is like. Maybe you've had a really awful experience. Maybe your dad has, is harsh and has a temper and has been abusive. But God is not like that. And you can go to God and just run to God say, God, here's, here's what's going on in my life. And just pour out, your, pour out your heart to him. I love, so we have two kids, as most of you know. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the day is at the end of the day when I come home. And both kids now, like, come down our little, like, two flights of stairs and meet me by the door of the garage and are, like Chloe sometimes, is just jumping up and down, saying, Daddy, Daddy, and they cling onto your legs. And Chloe just talks nonstop anyway, and so she just goes on and on and on about all this stuff about her day. You guys, that's how we should approach God. I mean, it's flattering for me, for my kids, but God wants to hear from us like that. He wants us to approach him and just say, God, I'm so happy to, like, talk to you again. But we don't really like praying much, do we? We just tend to see prayer as, like, a have to. But when you, got, you go to God as, as Daddy... It's a whole different thing. So we're children. We have a brand new position. That's the third P. <laughs> so finally, final part of tonight's passage. We kind of skip over from where we were at, ending at verse 16. We're skipping over to verse 26. And so Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So number four is this, the Spirit gives us prayer help. The Spirit gives us prayer help. So there's four Ps. I maybe should have been the Spirit, the Spirit helps us to pray, but... The Spirit gives us prayer help. Um, so what this is saying, basically, one, it's awesome that Paul is just like, sometimes it's hard to pray. I mean, have you guys ever experienced this? He literally says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Like, have you ever been like, I know I'm supposed to pray, so here it goes, wherever. You're just like, God, uh, I just don't know. I've got nothing. I want to pray. And then, and, you know, sometimes you just start babbling on about your day. But it's, sometimes prayer is hard. This is incredible. You guys, these two verses say the Spirit prays for us and helps us pray. He actually goes to, goes to God and intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. Or we don't, we, when we don't know what to pray. He approaches God the Father on our behalf. That's an amazing promise. I love to know, just in general, something's going on in my life or less in my, in my life. That friends are like praying for us. It's just good to hear, you know. Someone's like, I really am praying for you. We, there should never be a time where you feel like no one is praying for you because the Spirit of God is praying for you. When you don't know what to pray for, when you're going through stuff, 
Maybe you're even, I don't know if that means like even when we're ignoring God, if we're a Christian, the Spirit goes to the Father on our behalf. So what about that groans thing? It says, the text says, the Spirit intercedes with groans that words cannot express. Um, that word groans is kind of used up in the context here in the, the verses kind of before that. I, I think maybe that just means the Spirit is sympathizing, we, sympathizing w- with us. And back up in the context, it talks about how the whole creation groans and longs for Christ to return, longs for heaven to come, longs to be made right. So I, th- I think it's maybe saying the Spirit um, sympathizes with us, empathizes with our feelings, with our frustrations, with maybe our anger sometimes, with our weariness of just living in this sinful world. And the Spirit doesn't need words because in verse 27, it says that God who is the one that searches our hearts, knows the Spirit's mind, knows the mind of Christ. And then finally, it says the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will, which means every time the Spirit prays for us, He never gets a no from God. The Spirit never gets a no answer from God because He prays in accordance with God's will. Here's something I heard it put like this once. And maybe even write this down. God always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows, God will always give you what we would have asked for, what you would have asked for, if you knew everything that he knows. And you're like, really? Everything? What about that car accident? I don't know. We don't know everything that he knows. Sometimes those hard things make your faith stronger. You're like, why did my grandma have to die? We're all going to die someday. Somehow God wants to use that thing. God always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So again, here's another uh, my, uh, a little illustration for my kids. So Chloe, on Monday, had just gotten all this Easter candy. And so 8 a.m. Monday morning, she's holding her M&M egg. And is like, Daddy, 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 can I eat this for breakfast? And I was like, no, are you kidding you can have M&M's for breakfast, um, like maybe later today. But she had this whole bag, and she was so excited about her Easter candy. Um, no, you can't have it. Candy's not good for you. Like, and you're like, come on, Brad, you're such a lame dad, such a mean dad. And I'm like, yeah, but you, I mean, I would have told her if she knew, here's the thing, if, what I'm saying is if she knew everything that I knew about candy, she wouldn't have asked me for candy at 8 a.m. in the morning. And candy's not necessarily bad, but if if that's all she ate, it would rot her teeth and she'd be very unhealthy. I don't know, obese, maybe. I mean, she would just be very unhealthy. And particularly, her teeth would be rotten. If she knew what I knew about candy, she wouldn't have asked me for that. So the Spirit helps us pray, and that's pretty cool. Think about that, though. When you don't know what to pray... And when crazy things happen, God never gives you something that you, like, can't handle. He knows, he knows things that we don't know. But finally this, and uh, here's kind of, my, I mean, this is, this is really my final thing. How do we get the Spirit? I, I, like, didn't we cover that? How do we get the Spirit again? Um, I hope you guys experience the Spirit I don't know in this series if we're going to tackle this passage in Ephesians um, 5 where it talks about being filled with the Spirit. So apparently the, the Spirit in us can kind of expand or you can kind of get more of, the, more of the Spirit. But if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit, as Ryan read last week, there's 50 things that the Spirit does. 
Here's four more tonight. We're just barely touching on it. But here's, you guys need to know this, what I'm about to say. And you need to hear it regularly, particularly if you're not a Christian. How do we get the Spirit? We know, we, you, you need to know this. Jesus, in Mark 14, and even in verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. He's, he's praying to the Father, and this is the last prayer we have recorded in the Bible before he's on the cross. When you could say on the cross, he prays another prayer. The last prayer we have before he goes to the cross. And in that verse, it says he prays this. He prays, Abba, Father. Those, this very intimate word, again, those words just tell us that God wants to have a relationship with us. He's not some distant guy in the sky. He wants to have a relationship with us. And Jesus is about to go to the cross, and yet he goes, Daddy, Father, everything is possible for you. You are God. Take this cup from me. He's, I think he honestly was maybe like, God, if there's any other way except for me to do this, will you take this cup from me? Yet, he says, not what I want, not what I will, but what you will. He essentially says, Dad, is there any other way? But it's not about what I want. You know what? God, I submit to you. You put me here on this earth. I want what you want for me. I don't care what it is. But he just cries out to God and says, Abba. And the next day, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And as he hangs there, he cries out, My God, my God. And for the first time, he hears nothing in return. What happened? Well, in Isaiah 53.10, it says this. We heard this on a Sunday morning like three weeks ago. It was the Lord's will to crush him, writes Isaiah. It was the Lord's will to crush him, that is Jesus, and to cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life a guilt offering. So what's happening here? Jesus was orphaned. Jesus was left alone. Jesus cried out to God and hears no answer. Jesus is cast out. So that we can be brought in to the family of God. So that we can be sons and daughters of God. But that couldn't happen without a cost. You know why? Because you and I are sinful. And because that cup he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath against sin. But he took that. And he didn't have to. He drank, he drinks the cup of God's wrath and takes all the sins of the whole world on the cross for you. And for me. And the great thing is, is we celebrated it on Sunday. He didn't stay dead, and he defeated death, and he comes back to life. And we get to reign with him forever. As it says, we didn't even get to this verse, as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We get to reign with him. He was orphaned so that you and I might become children of God. So that we could have the Spirit. You guys, that, that's what it's all about. And we can learn a ton about the Spirit, and you can be a master of the Spirit. But if you don't understand that and want Jesus, you're missing it. So I don't know what you want. You know, sometimes you maybe come here and think, Brad, I, just give us something to do. I think that last thing is the thing I want for you guys every day. I hope that you're getting into the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, come talk to me. We'll get you one. But I hope you know, one, that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you and you're accepted into the family because of a great, great sacrifice.
from Jesus, all right? Hey, let's pray. I've got two instructions for us. God, I thank you for the Spirit. God, so often we don't feel any different. We, we become a Christian, and it doesn't seem like anything's happened. But God, we long for, um, so many of us want, want the feeling. We want an experience. We want, we want something to happen with you. But God, we have the Holy Spirit in us. God, I thank you that the Spirit gives us power. I thank you that the Spirit is your presence within us. God, I pray that the Spirit would motivate us to go out and live a whole, do a whole lot of good things and that we would give you the credit for it because it's not us. God, every good thing that the Christian does out of a pure motivation, God, it's you. It's you working in us. But God, I, I thank you that you were orphaned. I thank you that, God, you went to the cross and you let, you were abandoned so that we could know you, so that we could be reconciled to you. God, that's the greatest thing that anyone could ever give us. And God, that's the thing that changes our selfish hearts and that breaks our selfish desires and that makes us new and that makes us clean and that allows us to love others and to give ourselves to others. God, may we know that peace. And I pray that we'd walk in the Spirit this week. So God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.